God, we declare in this place that you're good, that you're the God that provides, that the thought in our minds and the, the spark in our hearts that wants to give thanks, to be grateful, was created by you. And the reason that we have to respond with that thanks and gratitude is, is because of your goodness, because of your generosity, because of your mercy in our lives and in this world. And so we stand and we sing and we declare in this place that you're a God of love and a God of justice and a God of great power, more than we can imagine. That Holy Spirit, you are at work in us and in this moment and in this community and in this city and in this world that we want to see more of, of your power, more of your work, more of your movement. Because Jesus, we believe that you're alive, that you're not dead, that you're not still in the tomb, that you conquered death, that you rose again, and that you're moving and working and drawing people to yourself. And so would we get a, a greater glimpse of who you are in our own lives and in, and in this world right now? You are good. God, you're a good father. Jesus, you're our king and our savior and our Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Oh, it is so good to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor. If you're here in this room, welcome again. If you're, if you're watching online, uh, thanks for, for joining in and being here in this way. Um, if you know Connor's in-laws, you can tell them to log on right now and, and watch, and he can get points for that. And uh, if you're watching at another time or listening at another time, uh, we're so glad that you're, you're linking in and participating with, with who we are and what God is doing in our midst. And uh, as it's already been said, this is just a special, a special day in the life of, of our church. And it's, a, it's one of those things that happens year after year after year. It's a tradition, it's a practice, it's a rhythm that we look forward to and anticipate. And um, I didn't, we, we kind of came up with this really just simple idea of writing down what we're thankful for. Um, when we do things over and over, when we do tra traditions and participate in practices that many, not all of us, but many of us are familiar with, they can kind of lose their, their impact a little bit. They can lose a little bit of the power. Uh, and so to, to remind ourselves that um, we, we walk in in this particular gathering, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we bring food, not just kind of because we did it the year before or the year before that or because somebody asked us to or reminded us to. We, we bring food because it's a, it's a way for us to acknowledge uh, that we have so much. That's probably extra necessary in this year when we're aware of all the things that we maybe don't have. But all of the ways that God has provided for us and given to us, and so the, the simple act of writing out, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? And then to set it down and then to bring all the food that we're going to donate and give away on top of that is, is not because we're really good people. I mean, I mean, we are. I mean, some of us are, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a lot to, to celebrate and, and there's a great need out there. But first and foremost, it's because so much has been given to us. And so this is just a, a great representation. And what I want to do now is just read all of these. So um, I'm going to start over here, and did you say please don't? Okay, I won't. no, I didn't ask for permission. I really want to. I'm, I'm not going to. I really would love to do that. I can see a few of them, and man, there's some great artwork on there too. Um, and this is, this is such a simple thing, and yet there's, it's powerful. It's powerful to, to take a moment and to go, God, what am I really grateful for? What am I thankful for? 
um, and then to write it down and then um, we'll bring in a little bit. And if you, if you didn't bring food and you're like, what is happening? That's totally fine. Like, don't, don't feel like you need to run out and do that. Um, if, you're, if you're at home, you're like, wow, I remember a few years ago when I was sitting there and I forgot, but now I'm at home and I can go out and shop and bring tomorrow. And yes, you can. But um, yeah, this is just one, one thing that it, it reveals who we are uh, and who we want to be and who God's making us into. So, hey, uh, one, one quick uh, little uh, note that I want to share with you. I celebrated last week. So a couple weeks ago, we announced that uh, we finished a uh, kind of a two-month just journey through the vision that God has given us as a church and who he's calling us to be and embody and what he wants to do in and through us in our city. And, uh, and then we ended that with a uh, just kind of sharing that God's leading us into a, a unique fundraising effort that is going to go start in January and go for the next two years. Uh, and uh, kind of, we haven't done this before as a church. I have not led through this before as a pastor. And so we're learning as we go. And um, God answered prayer really quick. And, and people started saying, hey, well, I want to give and here's what I want to give. And so we had to kind of hurry up and, and get that stuff in place so that we can start doing that. And so um, We've, we've got a website up. You can go on our homepage and, and you can click on it there. It's called Now and Next and it explains more. There's a short little video uh, that we put together this week to explain a little bit more. Um, but just want to celebrate that uh, for those that, that have already felt led to, to give and to commit. Um, and then if you want to find out more about that, you can go on there and, and, and listen and read. Uh, and then we're looking at January at making kind of commitments as a, as a church. So just want to make a quick announcement that's up there. Uh, and ready now. And if you, if you see or know Connor, uh, please give him an extra high five or hug uh, and just thank him for his work on, on putting all that together. Um, thanks a ton, Connor, for doing all that. Hey, yeah, there you go. And now that I said that to you, I'm going to go back and sit in my chair and write a note of I'm thankful for Connor and bring it and put it up here too. So Hey, uh, find a Bible and find your way to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're in a series uh, through Luke and Acts that we started a couple weeks ago, and it's going to go until we're done, and we don't know exactly when that is. Uh, there's a guy named Theophilus that Luke really cared about, and he was a friend of his, and he wanted him to know that, yes, in fact, Jesus is who he claimed to be, and he's alive, and he's worth knowing and following and devoting your life to and giving full allegiance to. And he wrote this in, in the 60s, but not the 1960s, like just the 60s, so about 2,000 years ago. And we're just starting and going through the book of, of Luke, and, and then we're going to get to Acts. And he, he wrote these two because he cared about Theophilus, and he, and he is convinced absolutely that Jesus is alive, but he also is written for us today. And so we're just taking our time and walking through that. The first chapter of Luke is like forever long, I think it's 80 verses, uh, and we're going to read 26 through 38 together today, uh, and then we're going to jump into Advent next week, which um, is going to walk us through the birth story of Jesus. So Luke uh, chapter 1, we're going to pick up at, uh, at verse 26. May, May 19th, 1999. May 19th, 1999. I was in a movie theater with a couple of friends from high school and a couple of friends from college. And about eight hours before showtime, I didn't know that I was going to be in the movie theater that night. Um, but I was out to lunch with a friend. Abby and I were together, and he says, I've got an extra ticket. And I, I looked at, at Abby. We had, we had a, a two-month-old at the time, and I thought there's, there's no way that, that my wife 
um, is going to be excited about me going to a movie at 10 o'clock at night uh, when we have a two-month-old at, at home that we're trying to, to train to sleep. And um, because she is absolutely amazing and far better than I deserve, she said, sure, if you want to go, go. Um, and made arrangements, and I was able to go. And so in Los Angeles, California, May 19th, 1999, I was sitting in a movie theater, and there was so many previews, I can't even remember what they were or how many there were, and when the previews got done and it came time for the movie to start, it was absolutely silent in an absolutely packed movie theater. And the screen was black, and all of a sudden, this music cued at the same time that on the screen popped up two words. Star Wars, I knew someone would know it. So you know the sound and you know what came up on the screen and the, the place just erupted. I, somebody might have even stood up, but the place just, just went crazy. And the, the Star Wars music cues and it's, it's episode one, opening night of episode one. And it, there was a generation of people filling that theater and many other theaters that had been waiting for there to be another Star Wars movie because we had gotten episode four, five, and six and had all the toys and fantasies and played and all the things and bed sheets and all of it. And just why aren't the other episodes being made and coming out? And so uh, when I was in, I don't know, late high school, early college, there was news that there was going to happen and then it happened. And then I'm out to lunch with a friend and he says, I've got an extra ticket. And it was like, I can't, what, like, which, which like, organ do you need from me so that I can get that ticket and go? And he goes, you know what, a buddy can't go, and I, you know, you can go. And so I got to go, and it was, it, it was fantastic. It was so good that Jar Jar Binks couldn't even dampen the night. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> but you know what comes up on the screen. Star Wars pops up on the screen, and the next thing that pops up is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then the scroll starts happening and we get the storyline of what's happening and what's going on. And it's this, it's this tension between the galactic and the rebels and the, there's Jedi's mentioned and all this stuff happens and we, we begin to get the storyline of what's going on. And that part of every Star Wars movie is tapping into the origin story of what's going on. It's tapping into the, to the narrative that creates the drama that draws us and many other people to be interested in a made up world called Star Wars. And it sells millions and billions of dollars of all this stuff because it's, it's compelling and it's interesting. And we know the characters and the, and the fight and the loss and the joy and the pain and the victory and, the, and all of it. Origin stories are compelling and fascinating to us. I looked at this up that uh, origin stories, top 10 origin stories, and, and you know, there's a huge debate and I don't wanna, I don't wanna start a fight and, and get into it and all this, but you know, if you're t top 10, and, and I was shocked to learn that at least the one I was looking at, the, the, the 10th, not the first, but the 10th was uh, Green Arrow. And I'm so into comic books and Marvel and DC that I, you know, I didn't know that there was both a, a Green Arrow and a Green Lantern. I, 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 don't, I thought one graduated and the other or something. And there were, but green, green Arrow and then Green Lantern. The top three, I think we probably are somewhat in agreement. Superman, Batman, and then number one, Spider-Man. Wow, we're, we're well behaved today. That's great, okay, good. So regardless of where you rank on that, the, the, the thing is, is, as we get into those and we learn that the family drama and the loss, and whether it's a billionaire playboy or if it's the parents that were both killed, whether it's a, a common kind of unknown teenager that gets bit by a spider, whatever it is, it's, 
we understand that when we, when we get the origin story, there's something that draws us in and we care because we learn the identity and we learn the motivation and we learn the values. We learn who they are and how they got to be who they are. What Luke is doing in these very long first chapter of the, the book of Luke is the origin story for Jesus. And we're 26 verses in and he hasn't even mentioned the name of Jesus yet. But he's writing the origin story so that we understand the need and the, the significance and the drama and the ties of all the different characters and who's playing a role in Jesus arriving. And so we're gonna read today that, that there's just, not even Jesus arriving, but just the, the sense that Jesus is coming begins to shift and move and things are changing in the world because Jesus is about to arrive. And Luke is laying out this origin story so that his friend Theophilus, and then you and I today can go, oh, that's, that's meaningful. And there's a high competition, even in that time, Greek, Greek mythology of, of, of how gods got to be gods, lowercase g, not the one true God that we're reading about, but how other gods got to be gods, and how they worked in the world according to Greek mythology. And what we're finding here and what Luke is setting up is that Jesus is absolutely unique among all of those. That if there's, a, there's like a ranking of all the origin stories, like it just wouldn't be close, like second place would be so distant we wouldn't even care. We would be concerned and only compelled by Jesus and not Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, or certainly not Green Arrow. And he's saying, look at how different and unique Jesus is. So let's look at how that happens and how the announcement happens starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We've got Mary, we've got uh, Elizabeth, we've got an angel named Gabriel, and uh, we've got a town named, uh, we've got Joseph, and then we've got a town named Nazareth. And the, the angel we talked about last week, if you weren't here, uh, the angel showed up in a very public scene um, as everybody's worshiping outside the temple, and Zechariah is a, a priest, and he's in the temple, and he shows up and absolutely just spooks Zechariah out, and he's scared, and then he gets a message, and then he doesn't believe, and then he comes out, and he can't talk. It's a great scene. But Gabriel then goes to a town called Nazareth, which is, we only know Nazareth because Jesus was born there. If Jesus hadn't been born there, none, nobody would know Nazareth. Nazareth is like out there's, there's no special stores there to go to. There's nothing to see. It's an out-of-the-way, insignificant, nobody-cares-about kind of town. It's, it's in the region of Galilee, which is great. Galilee is beautiful, and the Sea of Galilee is super significant, and obviously they're going to build around it and use it as a water source and all those kind of things and, uh, in, in, that, in that time, in ancient time. But, but Nazareth is like 15 miles away from Galilee. Like, that's too far away. And then it's six miles away from the most significant road like a developed road. It's, it's out there, it's nowhere. Mary, we all know Mary because she gives birth to Jesus. But if, if that hadn't happened, nobody would have known Mary. Mary was completely insignificant, unimpressive, average. That sounds weird to say because we, we read her name in the Bible, but Mary was just a, a young teenage girl, late, maybe middle teens, late teens, and, and she was engaged to be married. And in that day and age, if you, if you don't know this, like to, to get betrothed in that culture, was this public announcement that this girl is now going to be married to this man. And it happened in mid to late teens, typically. And it's one family and one father agreeing with another father, okay, our children are going to get married and she's going to go live with him. But when that announcement happened, it was as if they're married. They weren't living together. 
they weren't even necessarily spending any more significant time together. It was just an agreement among parents and there was a bride price and all that happened. But when that happened, everyone around knew that she is his now. That's what the culture was like. And so they weren't spending, Mary and Joseph weren't hanging out together. Um, they certainly absolutely 100% were not sleeping together. They probably had never even touched before. But they were in this period of being betrothed, but not yet married. And when they would get married was roughly a year later hadn't happened yet. And the angel shows up, Gabriel shows up. The next verse says this. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, exclamation point. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Zechariah, he got scared and Gabriel had to say, don't be afraid. And he got into a debate that ended very poorly for Zechariah. And, and Mary's interaction with Gabriel is completely different. Gabriel shows up and, and there's no sense that, that Mary is afraid. She's not afraid. I mean, she might have been, but it's not recorded. It says she was troubled by what the greeting was. That, that Gabriel shows up and says to her, greetings to you. That's normal. You who are highly favored. And Mary is troubled by those words. It says that Mary is troubled by the greeting. Why? So she's thinking, why, why am I favored? Why is an angel showing up and talking to me? Why is the angel saying that I am highly favored? And, and maybe you hear that and you're like, I would really like somebody to say that about me. I'd like somebody to show up and, and just take a look at me or maybe follow me around for a little bit or, or maybe follow me on some kind of social media and then let me know that I am highly favored. Because when we hear that, what we think is like, I've done some good stuff. I've, I've, I've accumulated a resume or I've, I've posted some really brilliant things or really good looking pictures and then I'm highly favored that there's this, there's this kind of assessment of me that I'm highly favored based on what I've done. That is not what's happening here. The angel shows up and merely says, God's chosen you. God's chosen you. Not because of anything that you've done or accomplished or what you look like or what you've thought about, something that you've built, something that you've conceived, that you've written, nothing that you've done. The, the God of the universe just decides that you are favored. And favored is very similar to this word grace. In fact, the same word that you use here is used for grace in other places. That nothing that we have done, none, none of our own merit, but that God looks on us. And so what happens here is that Mary actually becomes an example of me and you. That Gabriel tells Mary, you're highly favored. You're highly favored because God decided, not because of what you've done. Mary, we don't know what kind of grades Mary got. In the text for next week, we're gonna find that. She's, she's actually confused. Why, am, why me? Why did God pick me? That is embedded in and intertwined with every single card that's up here right now. When we express thanks, when we express gratitude, whether it's for something that happened in this year or something that's going on in our life right now, something that we have possession on materially, or when we look at our own salvation and the reality that the God of the universe chose to forgive and to redeem and to save me, there's a sense of how did I get picked? How am I favored? God is already demonstrating grace simply by picking an average, unimpressive young girl in an average, out of the way, unimpressive town that no one knows about. That's where God shows up, and it is completely the opposite of what we read last week, 
when the whole city is gathered around worshiping at the temple and Gabriel shows up to one of the most public figures in that place and says, your, your wife, who's elderly, is gonna give birth to a prophet named John. And this is an out of the way, God's choosing, you're highly favored simply because I choose to extend grace and favor upon you. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's the, here's the origin story. Here's where it taps in, not just to the, 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 the Jesus announcement of, of Mary conceiving Jesus and then Jesus is gonna be born a little bit later in chapter two, but it taps into this story that's been long going and long promised for a very, very, very long time. And Gabriel tells Mary that you're gonna conceive and you're gonna give birth to a son. I know you're not married yet. I know you've never probably held hands with a guy. You've never been on a date. You're engaged, but you're gonna have a son and you're gonna conceive really, really quickly. It's gonna happen really soon. It's gonna happen kind of here in the now and this week. But you're gonna conceive a son and you're gonna name him Jesus. And your son, who you're gonna name as Jesus, is gonna be this promised Messiah that your people, your ethnic group, the Jewish people have known about for generations that's been promised. And it taps back into the Old Testament and in 2 Samuel chapter seven, I believe, where where the promise is to David, that David, you're gonna be the king, not like Saul, but you're gonna be a different kind of king, and it's your line that I'm gonna bless, and it's in, in your family line that is gonna come another one, and your, your family line's gonna be on the throne forever. If you follow the, the history of, of the Israelite people, the Jewish people in Israel, it's up and down and confusing, and, and yet he's, he's making the, the promise now to Mary. Your son is gonna be this one. Verse 31 of the first chapter of Luke is the first time we hear the name of Jesus. He takes all this time and effort to say this is Jesus. If you look at the section we read last week, it says in the time of. This one says in the sixth month of. The next section is to say when it was time for Elizabeth. He's putting these things in chronological order and the very first verses of the book of Luke, if you were here a couple weeks ago, said, hey Theophilus, hey friend, I've done a ton of research and I've talked to eyewitnesses and I'm gonna put everything in and you can go back and look at newspaper clippings and you can go back and talk to people that are still alive and you can go back to the actual places where these things happen and find out what really happened. And you can go back and you can talk to, to Mary and you can talk to Joseph, but I'm gonna put these things in chronological order and it's all gonna be laid out and you can go back and test and prove these things if they're true. But I'm gonna make this claim and I'm gonna write it down that Jesus is going to be on the throne forever. And this has already happened after his death and after his resurrection. And this would have caused so much controversy. And even Theophilus, who was a believer and follower of Jesus, was doubting. And, and why was he doubting? He was doubting because the people who put their faith in Jesus were being persecuted, were being ostracized, were being marginalized. They were losing status in society. And the people that were following Jesus didn't seem to be thriving and succeeding in a sociological sense. And so Theophilus is questioning it. And Luke is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to know these things. It really is true. It really is true. So I'm gonna put dates on it. I'm gonna put places on it. I'm gonna put names on it. And you can go back and check. And I want you to know that there is no other story like this. There's no other origin story. There's no claim. You, you can go to our friends, the Greeks, that are alive right then and look at all their mythology and where they get their gods and their power in the world. And you look at it. No, nobody's claiming this. Nobody's claiming 
a virgin birth. Nobody's claiming that a, a young woman conceived without a guy being involved. Nobody else claims that. That's absolutely unique. And not only that, but it happened. And it happened because you can go and talk to these people. This would have been so controversial. People would have been pushing back against this, not just simply because it sounds so outlandish, but because it is so crazy and so impossible and so outlandish that if, in fact, it's true, there's no one else worth following. And we are all looking for someone to follow. And if this, in fact, is true, nobody else comes close. And so when this story is being told and when this story is being written, right in line with it is the call, come and follow this one. Come and believe this one. Come and place your faith in this one. And when you do, place your life in it in the sense of you're trusting in him that you're not trusting in other things and other stories and other myths and other beliefs that you're letting go of all of those and you're believing in this one. This would have been so controversial to say there's a God of the universe who has a plan for the universe and yet knows me personally and is powerful enough to bring his son into this world to let him be brutally executed, buried, conquer death, and rise again that no one else is worth following, believing in, and finding hope in. And we as humanity, the very essence of who God created us is that we will always put our faith in something. We will always find something to hope in and to sink our lives up with. And Luke is saying, and would we hear it today, that Jesus is the only one that is worthy. And part of the reason he is, is because this became true. This isn't just a story. It's not just an origin story that we would write a, a comic book about or make something up about, but it's actually true. It happened. Fascinating thing is that as, as bizarre and wild and crazy as a virgin birth is, the rest of the New Testament isn't, isn't filled with it. It's not consumed with it. It's not talking about it a whole lot. Paul, who finishes for writing most of the New Testament, Paul doesn't spend a lot of time writing about a virgin birth. What does he spend a lot of time writing about? Death and resurrection, death and resurrection, 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 resurrection. Paul is compelled by the resurrection, which is so much greater than virgin birth, and yet a virgin birth just, wow, that, that blows our minds because it's not ever happened. It's not, nobody's claiming that it's happened, nobody's providing proof that it's happened. There's certainly nobody aligning their lines their lives with that kind of story and movement, and yet we that happen, and we're part of a movement that far predates us, that we're joining in line with and that we're following, because this happened. Here's what happens next. Mary, mid to late teens, mid to late teenagers, sitting or standing in the presence of an angel says this, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, Holy One, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who, said, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. How's this gonna happen? Well, God's gonna simply Put a child in you. That's how it's going to happen. It's really, that's, that's what he describes. Holy Spirit's going to be there. 
power of God's gonna be there, and unlike any other origin story, you're just gonna become pregnant. I wonder what she thought. Okay, it's, it's good, good time, thanks. And what does she do, like go like, make a cup of tea? Like, but like, where, does she, where does she go with that? Oh, okay. Oh, there it is. I, there's a baby. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in the middle of the night when she was asleep. But it, it just God just decided there's not going to be a child in you, and then there's going to be a child in you. There's no, no nobody other, no one else in human history seriously claims that this has happened. Crazy, but it happened. And people begin to follow Jesus when they heard him speak and saw him do miracles. And then he died, and then he rose again, and we're part of that story. It's fascinating. We, uh, the way that the Gabriel ends the conversation is particularly important for us. We, uh, we here in the Pacific Northwest and specifically in the Portland, Vancouver metro area are so fortunate that both Nike and Adidas are here, right? Like the, the sports world, the globe over, wears primarily Nike and Adidas, and I know there's a few others, but those are the big leaders primarily, right? Pretty much, and we all kind of either have something from Nike or Adidas, or we know someone who has, you know, has access to the employee store or factory store or something like that, and, and you know, for us that are our parents that have daughters and sons who want the stuff, we have to save up and figure out how to buy it and how much of it and, you know, and all that, and you know, it's, it's, it's great, and um, there's these stories of athletes who wear Nike and Adidas, and the storylines and the things that they can do are, are so impressive. Adidas, a number of years ago, I think it was 2003 or four or five, somewhere in there, came up with a new marketing line. And they, they told stories and, uh, around this line and, and made all the, the commercials and billboards and postings and everything was, was geared around this, and it continues today. And the marketing, or the, the the phrase is impossible is nothing. Impossible is nothing. And then they tell stories that Candace Parker where, where's Adidas and she's part of it and Lionel Messi and uh, our own Damian Lillard and, and the things that they can do athletically are impressive and beyond what I think any of us can, can do. And, and to, to hear the line impossible is nothing goes, yeah, you know, I need, I need those shoes. If I had those shoes. They, they, uh, that's, I don't know if they know this, and so this is, this is to Adidas this morning. Um, that's, that's copyright infringement. Like, you stole that. And so, um, if you're listening, um, you, you need to compensate the God of the universe for that one. Like, that's like, that's not yours. Like, the, when Gabriel says, for no word from God will ever fail, that translates as impossible is nothing when it comes to, I mean, that's literally what it translates. Impossible is nothing when it comes to God. So Adidas stole this from God, or more specifically, Gabriel. Maybe Gabriel would like, like the money. I don't think God needs the money, but Gabriel, he might like the money. Impossible is nothing. Like, that's, a, that's this inspiring, like, oh, great, I can do all these things. I can't even do, like, things that, like, Dude Perfect does. Like, I don't, I'm not gonna be able to, like, get on and, and do the things that Damian Lillard does on a court. Like, I get that that's beyond what I can do. But what God is saying is, God is saying is in, when I issue a word, when I say something, it will happen. So Gabriel is saying, 
Mary, I know you don't get how this, this virgin birth thing is gonna happen and how you're gonna give birth to a son because nobody's ever done that before. But when God says something, it's going to happen. Nothing is impossible with God. And in this place right here, he's talking to Mary, and yet the truth holds for me and for you. Impossible is nothing. And it's not that we bring the things that we want or that we create or that we envision and we bring them to God and say, God, I wanna test you and see if you can do this. That's not what this is talking about. Now, we're invited to do that, to bring everything we are to God. But God has already issued promises and God has already revealed his character and God has already said what he wants in this world. And oftentimes we're bringing things of our broken experiences in this world and say, God, how does this fit in? How are you gonna answer this and heal me and heal us and do, do something that is so necessary and needed in this world? And God's word to us is that because I've said so, it will happen. It may not happen in your time. It might not happen right before your eyes, but it will happen because when I say things, they happen. Nothing that I say will go unaccomplished. Nothing is impossible with me. When we pray things and when we say things, and we've said some as a church, and as I, as I read this and hear these words from God, nothing is impossible, I have to think about the things that he's called us to as a church. That when we say things like we dream of a day when every cynic knows the Savior, like that sounds like way beyond what we could ever engineer or strategize towards. That's what God wants. God says every knee will bow to him. That we want to see that happen in our time, in our moment, that every cynic knows the Savior, that every cynic does what this is inviting us to do, to link our stories to Jesus because Jesus is alive and real. We all know someone who has been cynical. Well, we've all been cynical. Every single one of us has been cynical at some point. Cynical about the world, cynical about a broken friendship and we want it to be restored. Cynical about our own families, cynical about the people we work with. We're cynical about Jesus himself. I don't know if Jesus is real. I don't know if, if I can really trust him with my life. And whether that's where you are today or whether you believed in him at one point and you're questioning whether it's today, that's something that we can't do in our human capacity. But we can go to God and say, God, you, you want each and every one of us, even in our most cynical moments, to be transformed and experience hope again and to follow you and put our faith in you. We say we want all of the lonely to find a family. And when we say that and when we dream for that and when we pray for that as a church, we don't mean just like some, okay, that will do family. But to really experience an intimate relationship with a community of people that says, these are my people. This is who I'm around. And they actually help me and I help them. That there's a, a way in this world, in this broken, divided world, even in today, that we could experience friendship and community. That's gotta come from God. We can't manufacture that by ourselves. I'm so glad that nothing is impossible when it comes to God. The third thing we say is that we dream of a day when every activist joins God's mission. We live in a culture that promotes and designs and breeds life into ideology that says we can go accomplish things on our own and we can change this world and there's not a lot of evidence that that really works. And a large reason that is, is because activism that is sparked today is not linked to the most important one and the most important things. And so when we say something like, we wanna see every activist joins God's mission, 
We say we want every person who looks into this world and sees that there's things that are broken and wrong and sinful and divided and divisive and to say through all of that we can see God present in this world and we want to link our lives to his and as we do that, that he would use us for good in this world. That we want to be a part of that and we can't do that in our own power and so I'm so glad that for no word from God will ever fail. That what is impossible on our own means is not impossible for God. Mary models a response that each and every one of us are invited to. She says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We're invited to that response, to say here, here I am, I'm yours. Isaiah said it this way, here I am, send me. That's gonna mean something different for all of us. I wanna say again that in this moment right now, we've got a tank of hot water, or it's warm, it's comfortable. I kinda wanna jump in it myself. If you've not been baptized, part of our response is is an act of obedience to God that says, God, because I know that you're alive, because you've transformed my life, because you've met me where I am, because nothing is impossible for you, I'm gonna respond to you in obedience and do something as ridiculous and as odd as getting dunked in water in front of a whole group of people. We've got a few people in our community right now that are ready to get baptized. They're not gonna get baptized today because they want their family with them and we're gonna do it in a few weeks. But if you're here and you want, we've got clothes, Adam's over there, we'd be glad to celebrate with you this morning. The other thing that we do is when we say, here I am, send me, I am your servant, we respond out of what God's done in our life already. And so many of us have brought food today because we've said, God, you've provided for me and I wanna be a part of your good work in the world. And there are people that are hungry in our own church and in our own neighborhood and in our own city. And so God, I wanna give out of the overflow of what you've done for me, I wanna give back. And when more of your good come into this world, when more of the things that seem impossible be possible with you and would we be a part of it. So we're gonna continue to sing. And as you're ready, you can bring your food up here. And I know the cards landed kind of in the first two feet up here. Um, You're not limited to that. Um, As you're comfortable, most of our band has masks on if that's something that you're uncomfortable with, but you can bring and put your food up here anywhere you want. Um, I don't think anything is off limits unless unless you get get one of those. Okay, there you go. Not Not on you. So if you get a little one of these from a band member just back up, but you can, you can, you're free to put it wherever. Please do not put any in the water, um, but everywhere up here is fine. And this is just, I want, I want to do, as you're doing this, take a look around you. As you're doing this, one of the great things that we get to see is that how God is working through so many of us. And we get to see that we are a light in this city of a different kind of life because we know Jesus. And so let's bring our food as you're ready and we're gonna fill the stage with it.